I'm sure you've heard about the persecution of Uyghur Muslims in China. Over a million people, some say maybe even up to two million, held in detention camps in Xinjiang province. But what's new now is perhaps for the first time we can see or put a human face to this tragedy. Thanks to unknown hackers who broke into the Xinjiang police service and took thousands of photographs showing detained Uyghurs. They also took documents to provide evidence of a government policy targeting Uyghur culture, their identity, their Muslim faith. Hello everyone, I'm Sami Zaydan. Welcome to the Essential Middle East podcast. Well, those files, now known as the Xinjiang police files, were handed to a US-based scholar who shared it with a consortium of international media outlets who took months to verify it before they made it public. My guest's job is to monitor the oppression of Uyghurs in China. Roshan, please introduce yourself. Thank you, Sammy. My name is Roshan Abbas. I am the founder and the executive director for Campaign for Uyghurs, and I'm joining you today from Washington, D.C. Good to have you with us. Let's start with the first basic question. Do we know who hacked into those police servers? No, we don't know who actually hacked into those uh, files, but Dr. Adrian Zenz from the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, who has presented the largest body of evidence by providing the actuality, reality, and the authenticity of the Uyghur's current situation. But how do we know that the files then are legit? We have Uyghurs in diaspora recognizing their family members, their brothers, cousins, friends, neighbors. And also, this is everything that we have been saying it's just the unprecedented cache of data. So multiple sources are coming forward and corroborating, basically saying, yes, I know that story, I know that person. Yes, absolutely. The leak gives more detail of one particular camp in Shufu County. It shows photos of guards subduing inmates, as well as supposed indoctrination ceremonies. What did it tell you or reveal to you that you didn't know before? Are there any surprises? No, we have been saying this for years. We just had the difficulty for the world population to realize and understand. Also, we know this is just the tip of the iceberg and there are so much brutality, crimes against humanity, all kinds of the things that one cannot imagine that human being can do to their fellow human beings in today's world is happening to Uyghur people today. The Chinese government is claiming that those are vocational training centers, so-called re-education vocational training centers are for national security issue and de-radicalization of the people or fighting against terrorism. But in reality, what kind of national security issue these faces after faces of young teenagers who are 14, 15 years old or 73 years old grandma being threat. What kind of national threat is someone's beards on their faces or 60 and 70 years old people who are praying or fasting during Ramadan? 
the pictures are quite disturbing. And I understand you've got a personal link to this story. Tell us about how you are personally, your relatives are personally impacted by this. My sister, Dr. Gulshan Abbas, who is the most caring, kind, soft-spoken, generous person, she was taken by the Chinese government as a hostage to punish me for my activism in America. I participated on a panel at one of the think tanks here in Washington, D.C. in September 2018, and that was my first public speech. Six days after that panel, which I talked about China's genocidal policies while I was outlining the fate of my in-laws who were missing, my husband's entire family, my parents-in-laws and three of my sister-in-laws, their husbands, a brother-in-law and his wife, 14 of their children, 14 young children aged between two, three years old to 17, 18 years old. How do you know they were taken by the Chinese authorities? And how do you know they were taken because of what you were doing? The Chinese government forcibly disappeared. My husband's family, they are from Khotan. His entire family was missing. My husband, living in America, since April 24th, 2017, he cannot get hold of anyone in his family. And through some extended relatives, he find out that everybody was taken by the police, everybody was taken to the concentration camps. So when I talked about this, six days later, my sister is taken. My sister was taken by the police from her house. And then when I raised my sister's case, when I was holding my sister's picture, every place I go, protesting in front of the United Nations, protesting in front of the European Union and the Chinese embassy here in Washington, D.C. The Chinese state media, the China Global Times Network, published an article December 2019 and accusing me for stealing someone else's photo and spreading lies about my missing relatives. Basically, they said my sister did not exist and I was making up her story. Then, in December 2020, we heard from third parties that my sister was sentenced 20 years on a prison sentence on the terrorism-related charge. No proof of life, no information on her whereabouts. And then when we did the press conference, which was covered heavily, also Al Jazeera covered that story. And then one of the Reuters reporter asked the Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson, Wang Wenbin, at the press conference in Beijing, he shamelessly acknowledged, he said, oh, Gulshan Abbas is a criminal, she's charged in accordance with China's law. Hello, is she a criminal or am I a liar? Didn't you say a year ago that she did not exist? That I was spreading lies about China, about my missing sister? And now all of a sudden she became a terrorist? How do you live with something like that? I'm just wondering, that's a really, really hard situation to be in. It's extremely difficult, especially when you feel like that you are the cause. I can imagine. Now, coming back to these files, when you look through them, do they establish more of a link between what is happening, between stories like yours 
and the top Chinese leadership. There's been some talk in the media reports about the implications of the speech by the Minister of Public Security, Zhao Keji. Well, the Chinese government has been using the terrorism ever since the 9-11 tragedy in the United States. Let's go back a little bit. You know, since Mao Zedong's occupation of our homeland in 1949, the Chinese government has been relentlessly trying to destroy our religion, our culture. The Uyghurs have been persecuted during the 50s under the label of nationalists, and during the 60s, Cultural Revolution times, Uyghurs were persecuted under the label of counter-revolutionaries. And then after that, when Soviet collapsed and all the Central Asian republics became independent, all of a sudden, Uyghurs became separatists. And then after the 90s, China joined the World Trade Organization. They were promoting, actually, our homeland, so-called, you know, Xinjiang, which is new territory in Chinese. And they were producing videos inviting the Western companies and the foreign investments come and invest in Xinjiang. But then after 9-11, they realized the international efforts on war on terrorism is ample opportunity for China to get rid of the Uyghur people and keep the land. So basically, they made the religion, entire part of religion, is illegal. Even just saying Salam Aleikum, which is the most peaceful way of people greet each other. And even that is outlawed. Okay, but how do you respond to the Chinese narrative, official narrative, is that no, there were armed groups operating in Xinjiang region carrying out armed operations and the state needed to intervene to restore security? That is a pure fabrication. I'm not saying that there are some resentments and also those leaked Xinjiang police files states that shoot at spot policies and any kind of law and enforcement can raid into Uyghur people's homes and do whatever they want. So, for example, if husband and the brothers or men in the house went on the farm to work during the day and their wives and their daughters are left at home, and all of a sudden you have policemen raging into your house, and then when you come home at night, your wife or daughters are crying and telling you what kind of sexual abuse they were subject to. What do you do? I'm not saying and I don't support any kind of violence, but some people take some sort of resentment because of what the Chinese government is doing. But China has been characterizing all kind of political resistance or any kind of people's reaction toward the human rights abuses as Islamic terrorism or all kind of pretext fabrication on the organized activities. Imagine being told you had to host a government official every month who would eat and sleep in your home. That is part of a Chinese government policy that ramped up in the country's Xinjiang region in 2016, just as the authorities were allegedly detaining up to 2 million Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities into internment camps. Do these files show that some of these programs going on in these mass internment camps are the result of decisions being taken by key figures in the Chinese leadership. Yes, absolutely. If you look at some of the documents where Xi Jinping demands new camps to be built because of the overcrowding, 
and also Qin Quanguo, who was the party secretary at the time. Qin Quanguo issues what I just mentioned, shoot to kill order. So this is implicating the top figures yes. now in this, you know, reports of mass detentions, or some are even calling genocide, which brings us to the next point. How far do these files go in establishing the legal definition of genocide? This document and the pictures of faces and also some of the implementations that they mention fit one of the five elements of United Nations acts of genocide because the people are being punished collectively and all these people are actually being charged for so-called crimes for years back. For example, you know, we have researched the documents and there are 250 people from only 2,884 detainees from just one county, Kashgar's Konshar district. Among them, 250 of them are innocent grandmothers and grandfathers aged between 50 to 73. And some of them are taken because this person had beard, because this person went to Turkey, or this person went to Hajj for pilgrim, or this old grandma punished because her granddaughter wore hijab, or her grandson studied underground Islamic school. Yeah, some of the reports talk about an offense of studying the Muslim holy book with your grandmother. I mean, yeah. What does that tell us about what the goal is of this mass detention camp? The goal here is eradication of the religion. China's waging a war on Islam itself. And the calling Islam is a mental disease or criminal act. So basically, Chinese government realized that the, the Uyghurs' ethnicity, the Uyghur race, could be assimilated by the Chinese government because of their faith. So they realized that if they can strip off this part of their ethnic identity, the religion, then it will be easy for them to completely assimilate them. So basically the right that's left for the Uyghur people now is either you live as a Han atheist Chinese, we allow you to survive, but if you want to be Uyghur or Muslim, you die or you disappear. The Chinese government is implementing genocidal policies with one of the Chinese government calling, actually, the Uyghur issue must be taken to the final solution stage, referring to the Nazi Germany times. Now, the, the Chinese authorities, of course, they deny that. They say organizations like yours, the media, they're just spreading lies. That actually Uyghurs are being kept in vocational centers where they teach job skills and languages. No. Those faces and eyes on those Xinjiang police files should haunt those leaders in the free world who have been inactive and mute against China's genocidal crimes against humanity, against Uyghurs, if they have a bit of humanity left in their hearts, because those eyes, those faces are the evidence of what we have been saying and what the Chinese government has been denying. Just like the World War II, during the Holocaust, many countries denied together with the Nazi Germany and also Nazi Germany claimed that those places that they were holding Jewish people, 
they were fun places and they were exercising, playing soccer and singing and the dancing. That's the history repeating exactly the same thing is happening today. And the, after the Holocaust, after the World War II, international community stood and they vowed never again. But this is 21st century. This is information era. We've got leaks after leaks after leaks of the Chinese government's own documents. Just because Chinese government say, oh, those are not true. It doesn't mean that you can cover the fire with a paper. Well, the U.S. is among those countries which are speaking out. They're calling it crime against humanity. The United States stands with countries and people around the world against the genocide and crimes against humanity happening in the Xinjiang region, where more than a million people have been placed in detention camps because of their ethnic and religious identity. But what do you say to those Chinese officials who say, look, this is simply being exploited by Western countries for political reasons? Well, all this data being analyzed for the forced sterilizations, forced abortions, and today with the document after document after showing the Chinese government's evil genocidal policies and those crimes against humanity. Those are not the documents that America or West is producing. Those are Chinese government's own secret documents, own data, own police files. So how can they still deny such a thing? Let's go back to the, uh, you know, what happened last few years. When we brought up the concentration camps, evidence after evidence, Chinese government denied. At the beginning, they said no such a thing existed. And then they changed the narrative against the overwhelming evidence, satellite imageries, and the former victims of the camps speaking out. Although it, it seems clear that the Uyghurs are being targeted, but it seems that also other minorities may be suffering from this sort of program, right? Yes, all the Muslims. That's why I say this is China's war against Islam, against the faith. The Uyghurs, Kazakhs, Uzbek, Kyrgyz, all these are Muslim people living in, uh, we call East Turkestan, which is a symbolic and a historical name. And we refuse to use the name given to us by the Chinese government. So all these people are being targeted. And on that point, wouldn't you have to say that does seem to be a bit of double standards in the Arab and Muslim world, right? They've really criticized China for what's going on. Yes, exactly. The Uyghur Muslim sisters are being raped by the Chinese government on the sham marriages because the Chinese government is forcing the Uyghur girls to marry Han Chinese. And if they refuse such forced marriage, and then they are sentenced harshly or sent to the concentration camps for being Islamic extremists, didn't want to marry non-Muslim Han Chinese. And Chinese government own media reported 1.1 million Han Chinese cadres, mostly male, sent to Uyghur homes to live inside of their houses, monitor and supervise Uyghurs' daily lives. Most of men are sent to the camps or concentration camps or the prisons or sent to forced labor facilities as slaves. Uyghur women are facing rape and sexual abuse in their own home, in their own bed. There were reports last year 
of even some Arab countries cooperating with the Chinese authorities to track down or even hand over Uyghurs who had you know, moved to, to Arab countries and they're being handed back. That's right. There are four Uyghurs right now facing deportation. Their lives are in danger in Saudi Arabia. And also there's one person, Idris Hassan, in Morocco, actually facing deportation. So it saddens me and it worries me and it angers me to see such a hypocrisy, such actions from the Muslim countries, Muslim leaders. But at the same time, I give them the excuse of being victims for China's disinformation and the false narratives because Chinese government is demolishing thousands of mosques in our homeland, burning thousands of millions of Holy Quran, but they are building second largest mosque in Nigeria and the building largest mosque in Algeria. So basically they are using the blood money they are making from the Uyghur Muslims to put the Muslim leaders and the Muslim people into sleep until the Chinese government completely colonized them. So when these leaders in the Muslim majority countries or some of the leaders even in the Western countries, when they are not speaking out, they are not just voluntarily giving up their freedom of speech, but they are giving up their sovereignty and their dignity. Michelle Bachelet has been denounced by activists in her field after the first trip to China by a UN human rights chief in 17 years. Bachelet's tightly controlled visit took her to Xinjiang region, where the US has labeled the detention of Uyghur Muslims and other minorities as genocide. How do you feel about the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet? How do you feel about her recent visit to China? Has it helped at all? Not at all, actually. It's a complete missed opportunity, not just missed opportunity. She repeated the Chinese government's talking points like anti-terrorism and her narrative legitimized the genocide perpetrated against the Uyghurs. Actually, her prison visit is a pumpkin style sham made up basically. So I am appalled. I am offended beyond disappointment. It's atrocious. It is an abandonment of duty, an insult to humanity, insult to conscience of the world, and the betrayal of the founding principles of the United Nations and the values that she is commanded to uphold in the Human Rights Office. What would you like to see the international community do? This is one of the world's superpowers, right? I am not here to remind the international community to uphold the values they represent and the humanity that they represent anymore. Conscience of the humanity is at test and everyone is failing it. So I'm not here to ask them or beg them to help Uyghurs anymore, but I want to warn them to act now, to act is to save the freedom and the democracy of this world. It's up to you to act today. If you don't act, if you don't defend, then look at the Uyghur people, what they are facing today, and imagine what kind of world that you are looking at in the future. Roshan, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's been a sobering conversation, but uh, a compelling one as well. So thank you for so much for coming and talking to us about this issue. Thank you. And thank you too to our listeners. 
This episode was produced by Khalid Sultan. I should mention our sound designer is George Alwir. Our engagement team is led by lead producer Aya Al-Malik and assistant engagement producer Munira Dosari. Our executive producer, of course, our big boss, Omar Saleh, and I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you again next week. 